Hello, welcome to Winter Dogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, the weekly show where I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers using historic music collections, written for bagpipes or not, uh, and played on illin pipes, highland pipes, and whistles. Let's hear some tunes. Let's uh, get into it. Uh, quite a few tunes to listen to today. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start... Well, I don't know what we're going to start with. <laughs> like, so a couple episodes ago, uh, in, like I brought all of my anxious energy to the podcast, and right now I'm having the opposite problem, where I uh, just had a conversation with a just incredible, uh, just a, a good piper interested in historic tunes uh with an album coming out and uh, he directed me to some things i didn't know existed and i'm all a flutter so uh, hopefully we'll have uh, nicholas brown on an episode uh, in the next coming weeks to talk about some of his interest in research in historic tunes and his album that's coming out um but yeah i mean the, my opening music track there like looking at his track list like oh i love all these tunes um yeah, on the list is Oysterwise Rant, which we just heard, and uh, when I saw he posted this episode, I was getting ready to record the podcast and do what I considered the overture to Oscar and Malvina, and that's on his, his uh, album too. So anyway, I'm talking about that, uh, which I shouldn't be, because hopefully we'll talk about it in a week or after, either next week or a week after that. Um, anyway... <laughs> this uh, week's episode, we're kind of going to take a little bit of a, a look at descriptive pieces. I'm not sure if that's really the right term for it, um, but kind of sets of music or pieces of music that are uh, like onomatopoeias or, or trying to tell a story, which in a way it feels like all music is. Uh, obviously, instrumental stuff doesn't have the benefit of words, so it can get a little bit trickier. Um, anyway, to, to kind of explain that point, I'm going to play the Irish Fox Hunt, which is, uh, that's what O'Farrell calls the Fox Chase, which is sort of the most famous, um, of the descriptive pieces. So we'll play that, and then I'll play another tune that I think I play descriptively, but I'm realizing, well, I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure that I use the term descriptive right, like I just play it with interesting tempos and kind of emotively, I guess, might be the better way to put it. Uh, but I'm going to play this kind of set of uh, tunes from Oscar and Malvina. And uh, I'm kind of doing that because I think of that as a descriptive piece, too, in my head. Uh, and then the reason this all started is I had a just lovely conversation with Matt Seattle last weekend, which I don't know, I, it's not going to be on the podcast this episode. I didn't really ask Matt if he wanted some of that or was okay with some of that being a podcast so we'll we'll see uh if he wants that or is willing to have another chat sometime um but he motivated me to take a little bit more risks i'm not sure if that's what he meant to do but uh, that's what wound up happening so we'll see if he still talks to me uh after this episode because all of this discussion of um kind of descriptive pieces led to me really playing around with a Dixon tune called The Stool of Repentance. And uh, I was realizing, like, in terms of tunes that tell stories to me, just listening to them, um, you know, there's there's a couple Pibrocks that sort of... I'm not sure if they're really telling stories or they just feel super emotional, like the Desperate Battle. Um, Desperate Battle definitely does that, and um, Lament for the Children... But, like, Desperate Battle makes me feel emotional just listening to it before I knew what it was about. And arguably after I found out what it was about, I cared less about it for a while than more. Bit of a toss-up. Lament for the Children, I think if I hadn't known what the story was, I'm not sure if it would have messed me up quite so much. Um, but it's kind of rare. But, I really, you know, I know so few Border Pipe tunes. 
but the you know hit her between the legs just is incredibly descriptive to me like as a descriptive piece that's you can kind of feel your way through a story of it and the stool of repentance sort of is that way too so we're gonna play around with my heavily adjusted and uh, lots of choices made in stool of repentance and then because you know it's in the dixon book and so it's really interesting In in a way it feels like william dixon's tunes like all those tunes are just so uh, they're just so popular like they show up in so many other things which has kind of made it a challenge to do dixon tunes on the podcast because every time i play dixon tune i feel like there's three or four different versions i have to play because um the tunes that survived into that repertoire they're they're very popular tunes that like show up in lots of different settings in english music or scottish music or Northumbrian collections so it's kind of interesting. Um, and so that's the same thing. This week we'll do uh, Stool of Repentance, Dixon setting, and then Wright's Rant, and William Gunn's setting of The Piper's Son. Yeah, Bremner, uh, Bremner's collection of Scottish Reels calls it Wright's Rant, and I spent like two hours desperately trying to play it on Ellen Pipes. I think that's what I'm going to use. I'll play the clip of it. It doesn't work. Um, so I'll just uh, put some more praise out there for Charlotte Henderson. I don't quite understand how he's able to play uh, Highland Pipe tunes on an Ellen Pipe. That's just so hard um, and exhausting. Uh, if you're, I mean, it's okay if you're just playing it on the lower, you know, kind of adjusting it down to doing the same fingering, essentially. But if you're playing with another, with an actual Highland Piper or Border Piper, oof. That is a tricky, tricky thing to pull off. So um, I was uh, recently watching Liam O'Flynn videos, and I was watching an interview where he was playing the Fox Chase. Um, I'm sure y'all, I'm sure people that are interested in Ellen Piping uh, have have watched or listened to Liam O'Flynn play the Fox Chase. But there's you know an interview. There's been a lot of uh, these interviews are kind of available on YouTube now of some pretty incredible pipers being interviewed for television back in the is it 80s or 90s, 70s, I'm not sure quite how old they are, but um, he's talking about the Fox Chase and said that uh, Lima Flynn said it was the only descriptive tune in the tradition. But he said it in this sort of non-committal way, like, well, this is basically it. Um, and then it got me thinking, like, I wonder if that's true. And then I realized that, you know, in a, in a way you can kind of put a medley together that tells a story that way but few of them really work because the the fox chase is just so emotive uh and like a clear representation of what's happening you know that's what i'm saying it's like an onomatopoeia tune that uh, describes it and the cool thing um i haven't looked at other settings for it but in o'farrell's pocket companion uh he has the irish fox hunt is what he calls it and it actually includes little notes above the text like this is the cry of the hounds this is the blow of the horn um, this is the lament for the fox and that kind of thing. You can kind of it tells this whole story of people being excited and kind of entering into a, a tranquil woodland, or maybe it, I think the story starts with a tranquil woodland and a fox existing happily, uh, and then people coming in with their horns and dogs chasing after the fox, and then the chase, and then the kill, and then uh, O'Farrell has this lovely lament for the fox in it. Um, so you're sad for the dead fox, and then it finishes with a jig where the fox hunters are, are clearly happy. So you kind of follow this whole story. And it was interesting, I, I asked around on the Illin Piping group on Facebook if anybody had any other tunes, and I realized, uh, sort of, the, the thing I was thinking of as descriptive, what I was doing, is not descriptive. Uh, but I did get a bunch of other people's uh, descriptive sets, there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, I should have asked Tom Klein if I could play his. He's got a, a really cool chicken um, chicken hunting, or yeah, just chicken and the farmer kind of set. Maybe I'll ask if I can play it on a future podcast and we'll, we'll get another crack at that. It's clear, you know, uh, looking at, looking forward to uh, Nicholas Brown's album, there's a couple descriptive pieces on there, including the battle from Oscar and Malvina, which he calls a descriptive piece. So We'll see. I'm kind of very excited for that chat. But anyway, let's get uh, in the off chance that you're not familiar with the Fox Chase. Uh, we'll we'll play my my approach at it. This is my first time playing the tune. Uh, I took you know, I, I, I took four or five. This is probably my seventh attempt at it. So 
uh, apologies. <laughs> There's definitely, like, I think it still passes muster for music, but um, it's a cool tune, and you can go hunt out Seamus Ennis or Liam O'Flynn playing it uh, and doing it a bit bit differently. I mean, it's a different setting. O'Farrell's setting is not the same one that uh, Seamus Ennis and uh, Liam O'Flynn plays. It's very similar, but there's different choices. So anyway, here's me playing the Irish Fox Hunt uh, out of O'Farrell. <laughs>
right. So yeah, good tune. Um, the I mean, so that one's clearly that's actually a descriptive piece. You know, it's telling a story with the music. Um, as I was playing around with the stool of repentance and thinking about other tunes that I have done this kind of like I had visions of what it was happening. Um, but then like there's Peabrooks that tell stories with the various variations, but it's pretty hard to know what those are. Uh, Oscar Melvina is a little bit different. I mean, this is from a pantomime, uh, which is, you know, essentially a opera that's mostly dance. There's some singing too and some story, but, uh, pantomimes are generally just a lot of, uh, fancy dancing and music. Um, but, uh, but you know, the score comes down. So O'Farrell's the piper, one of the pipers for Oscar Malvina and several other shows in London, uh, the Covent Garden Theater, other places. And Oscar Malvina has always been an important tune to me for like finding a tune that Northwest Company guys would have listened to so that, you know, Canadian and American and Scottish fur traders, when they were doing business in London, you know, obviously going to the theater is not all that uncommon. Um, but since Oscar Malvina is based on the Ocean poems, it's like this uber Scottish identity fad um, going on in London at the time. Like, I'm sure that uh, Simon McTavish went to see it. And so there's three pieces, I think, in O'Farrell's pocketbook companions that uh, are from uh, Oscar Malvina. Uh, one of them is... I can't remember what one of them is called. Sorry. <laughs> but the other one is The Highland Wedding, or The Wedding from uh, Oscar Malvina. And then there's this one, the, the set for the pipes. And the set for the pipes is always, you know, it's hard. It's a hard bit of music at first when you're looking at it. Um, and then kind of once you, for me, like it was tricky and I wasn't very good at sight reading when I started playing it and I didn't have any other recordings of it. I just kind of felt my way through it. And next thing I knew, I had a way of playing it. And I was, so I recorded it years ago uh, in a studio, uh, but I'm not going to play that version. Um... I just recorded it now, and I, I tried recording it while looking at the music, and my version of this tune has really changed um, from how it was written. But uh, So this is this is my take on Oscar and Malvina, but it's clear, you know, there's there's time signature changes and key changes in the tune as written, much like there is in uh, The Fox Chase. Um, actually, I'm not sure that there's a key change technically in the way it's written in The Irish Fox Hunt. I definitely put a key change in it, uh, just uh, didn't, didn't like the C um, being flat versus sharp or, or whatever. So, um, by the way, so Oscar Malvina is a little bit different. This is, you know, a selection of tunes from the opera or from the pantomime. I've always kind of thought of it as an overture, but then, again, just a brief conversation uh, with Nicholas Brown, and he's like, well, you know, I, I like your, ver your your version is interesting. I added something from the composer score, and I lost my mind. Like, well, there's a composer score. Um, so I'm not sure. Looking at the overture for Oscar Malvina, I'm, yeah, I don't I don't quite know how well this is going to sound, or, or how similar it's going to sound, honestly, from uh, O'Farrell's set for the pipes. But that's, that's how I always interpreted this piece of music, was as the overture, kind of the summary of all the tunes. Yeah, we're going to have to have a whole episode just talking about Oscar and Malvina in more detail. Because I, I got a hold of the lyrics for some of the songs, too, so I might even sing. I haven't sung on the podcast since this new round of shows. Uh, anyway, so this is Oscar Malvina. I, I call it descriptive. I mean, it's a set of tunes, and uh, so in that sense, it's, it fits the bill for descriptive tunes. Um, and it's, you know, telling a story, but I don't know that story. So I don't have like the vision of it like I do with um, Hitter Between the Legs or um, The Desperate Battle or um, Lament for the Children, or as we'll talk shortly about Stool of Repentance. So uh, I'm not sure. Uh, good tune though. And when I was thinking of other examples, this is the one that came to mind. So we'll get, uh, here's my take on the Oscar and Malvina set for the pipes out of O'Farrell's Pocketbook Companion. <laughs> Thank you. 
I always, uh, when I would include that in my bagpipe programs at Grand Portage, I would always treat it sort of like a Peabrock where I would praise the visitors for sticking around and listening to such a kind of bizarre piece of music. Um, but yeah, it's, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was one of my favorite things to play. <laughs> like, it's just such a hoot. Um, okay, so that brings us to kind of what inspired this whole whole line of thinking, and that's this William Dixon tune, The Stool of Repentance. Like, again, my autobiography with this tune book, like, this was one of the reasons I bought the the tune book when I saw it in Olapool. And, you know, The Stool of Repentance, I had first heard about it um, in a documentary, like, not the tune, but, like, the actual practice of making people sit on a stool and get chastised by the community or by the parson or whatever. Uh, I was watching a documentary about uh, Isabel Gunn, who's a woman, well, she was, she dressed up, she passed herself off as a man and worked with Hudson's Bay Company for a couple years before being discovered and kind of forced to return to Orkney. And kind of the the nature of this discovery and her life there is, there's not a lot of good details about it. It is, it's pretty clear that the Hudson's Bay Company it seems likely anyway that they destroyed the evidence of like what happened that year. Um, the Hudson's Bay Company archives is pretty robust. I've spent a lot of time in them and I love them dearly. Um, the archives, they're just, they're a great resource. Um, and the year that Isabel Gunn or Jonathan Fubister, I think it's Jonathan, Jonathan or Benjamin, I think it's Jonathan Fubister, uh, the year they were working at uh, Pemina Post on the Red River, like, that journal doesn't exist, like every other year does, but that one is missing, and so that's that's a little suspect. The information we have, arguably the, the best source we have about um, Gunn, is from a Northwest company for a trader that, that worked right there. Anyway, there's, you know, the popular myth is always that she followed a lover over to the Canadian wilderness, um, and she became pregnant, and then she was discovered in childbirth, but like, none of the details of her life the few that we have don't really gel with that, like, and that's why the Stool of Repentance came in. Like, she named the father of her child, and he didn't acknowledge it, and so she was essentially stuck with a, a bastard child and kind of abandoned, and it seems much more likely um, the person that she named as the father was, like, her direct supervisor on a number of these expeditions. Um, so, like, there's a power dynamic there that's not good, uh, and so it seems much more likely, it seems at least plausible that she was the victim of assault rather than following a, a long-lost lover kind of story. Um, but in this documentary, um, some people from Orkney were talking about, like, what would happen when Isabel returned. And they said, well, yeah, you know, as a woman with a bastard child, she'd be forced to sit on a stool and get yelled at by everyone. And like I said, I've, it's pretty obvious now. Not that I spent a lot of time doing public history talks uh, involving music, but I'm always looking for tunes 
uh, that like have a title or a history behind them that give me an excuse to talk about something that I think is interesting. And uh, so, oh, Stool Apprentice, I should I should look at that tune. Uh, anyway, that's all to say. So that's this is one of two reasons why I bought the book uh, straight out. Like this one and Hit Her Between the Legs were two tunes that just jumped out at me as being really interesting titles and really just stellar music. Um, so now that I'm spending some more time with this tune, though, uh, my opinions of it have kind of morphed or changed a bit. Um, Matt was nice enough to kind of have a chat with me uh, over the weekend or last week or something. There's been I've had a lot. There's been a lot in my life of music and bagpiping and research uh, in the last seven days. Um, but one of the things that really stood out to me uh, was that, like, when when we play these tunes, these William Dixon tunes, like, you know, we're making a variation in their own right. Like, we're trying them. We're going to interpret them differently. And a lot of the, all these border pipe tunes, all these Dixon tunes are just full of straight lines of eighth notes um and you know if you play them straight they're good like they, I, I like the way they sound if you play them straight but really uh i don't know i just didn't realize that i didn't have to until talking with matt like well yeah no you, you've got to make space for the music in there so you do a little bit of dotting and cutting or, or hold one note or the other uh and then he kind of left me towards the end of our conversation he quoted dick hanseld um dick hanseld he's a northumbrian piper in minnesota and uh, it's just kind of funny because the basically what what Matt told me is actually quoted on the page of the book, uh, and I didn't tell him I was working on Stool of Repentance, so it just worked out. But what Dick said is you have to find a way of playing the stuff that kicks butt, and when you found it, you know that's how they did it. And so I was thinking of that. I was thinking of the Stool of Repentance tune, and just like I finally got around to actually reading uh, Matt's pretty excellent introduction and history in the beginning of this book. And I just got a different appreciation for it and realized that, you know, I could, I could, I can and should try to play this in a way that kicks butt. Um, and so I think I did. Uh, and one of the things that I, I really liked in the introduction, there's a, there's a quote, I should have had it in hand, I don't though. Um, but there's this kind of this discussion of the high A being important and that really good uh, border pipers and the day were kind of renowned for something funky about that high A note. Um, and I was thinking about the descriptive tunes that mean something to me. And like those high A notes matter, right? Like the desperate battle is all about sustained high A's. Like that's part of the story. If you're not familiar, you've probably heard this. Um, but if you haven't had it associated, it's it's this tune. The... But the the variations are just high A's. That's oh man, I can't remember it now. You know what? I'm just gonna play. I can't remember it terribly well, but I have a recording of myself playing it at Culloden, and I'm just playing it kind of the, the things that jump out at me. So I'll insert a clip here of uh, I'm gonna insert a clip of me playing the Desperate Battle at Culloden, and I, you know it's the way I play Peabrook, which is the 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 various phrasings and variations that stick out to me as something musical and that I love. But for people that are real strict, uh, Peabrook has a system, and if you play it wrong, you offend the ancient fairy guardians of whatever aren't going to like it. But I kind of think that probably more than I think playing it is what's important and caring about it and, and loving the sound. So anyway, when I was at the Clodden Battlefield years ago, uh, it's just, you know, it was dusk and it was around the anniversary of the battle, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to play the Desperate Battle, and I uh, got a recording of it. So here's the Desperate Battle, uh, and you can kind of hear what I'm saying about those high A notes, and then we'll come back and talk more about Border Pipe.
yeah, so those, those high A's become a really important and kind of emotive part of that tune. And in Peabrook, generally, there's a high A variation. So, like, you have the ground, and then you the next variation is where you add a high A into it. It's one of the reasons that um, the Lament for the Children stuck out to me, or, or stood out to me as being a little, tr- like, troubling or, or shocking at first, is, like, the, the ground has a bunch of high A's in it, uh, again. And the... It seems like, you know, what, what Border Pipers did with it or what they're praised for, it doesn't seem to be, I don't know, I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, of course, today, like, high A's are central to kitchen piping, too. Like, that's how Highland Pipers affect that kind of, like, clumsy lover, that syncopation, that... It's like a note you can hide in, you know? It, it makes it sound like you're not playing a note, but you are. Um, so there's, there's lots of things about it. Anyway, I was thinking about high A's, and I was thinking about the Stool of Repentance, and there's a variation in the, in the Stool of Repentance that is very high A heavy. Very. Um, there's a lot of it going on. And, you know, just talking with talking with Matt, too, it became clear just how much of a like rock star Dixon was, like, not in the nice sense of the word. <laughs> like, somebody wrote in his book, if not himself, that William Dixon's a rogue, uh, kind of in the, the beginning of it. And this tune, The Stool of Repentance, the idea that, you know, this is, I just realized that, you know, this is a place that Dixon would have wound up, uh, or whoever, you know, whoever's music he was recording. In my head, I'm sure it's, it, you know, um, it's probably not the case that this is Dixon's uh, tune collection, but that's just what has happened in my head. That's my, my vision of this, is William Dixon's a person that plays these tunes, and he's a bit of a rake. Um, Anyway, so I was just imagining, like, this position of being forced to sit on a stool while Parson yelled at you, and, uh, you know, Robert Burns has a, a song about how, like, hip- hypocritical it is, and how absurd it is, and then you listen to this tune, this jig, and it's like, yeah, no, this is a this is a laugh. Um, and so as I was playing it, I kind of had this vision of, you know, the beginning of the tune, there's some very simple um, melody... And like, yeah, this is all is well in the world, kind of a, a simplistic view where whenever there's an infraction, you know, there's this border stool that can, or this, uh, sorry, this black stool or the stool of repentance that can kind of make things better. And then the second variation, there's some high A's in there. And like, well, you know, maybe those high A's represent sin. <laughs> like how much more difficult it is in this simplistic view of how the world works that, you know, every time you do a high A, you've got to spend some time in the chair uh, and kind of getting yelled at by the parson. And that's how I started to kind of imagine this tune. Uh, but still, you know, that second variation, there's there's some runs of high A's, but it balances out pretty regularly. And then the third variation, there's there's basically no high A's. There's one high A, but it's, it's showing, like, a different level of... Um, different levels of kind of reactions or behaviors where it's it's a pretty rockin pretty rockin variation but there's no high a's um and then the fourth variation is just nothing but high a's and thinking about sitting in a stool of repentance and thinking about these high a's as being sinful and thinking about how apocryphal it was i just started thinking like in my head i was playing around with the different uh timing of those notes and imagining that they represented the parson getting more and more frustrated every successive time that Dixon was sitting in the stool getting yelled at for doing something, and that ultimately the parson is the one that is just losing control of himself, screaming. Um, so there's lots of, you know, the, the variation itself is, is interesting and cool, and then I make a bunch of choices with it and repeat it several times over what it's called for. Uh, and then the fifth variation, I just loved... It also, it doesn't have high A's in it, but it, it feels, it it begins, to me, the fifth variation works really well if you play it slow at first, as if whoever is sitting in the stool is having, you know, they've they've realized the error of their ways and they're not going to sin anymore, and then ultimately that doesn't work out. And so then the rest of the tune is uh, living a joyful life filled with sin and uh, excess and not giving a damn about the stool, and so, therefore, the tune doesn't really have high A's in it for the last two variations. It's just living life and being kind of free of this stool. So that's that's sort of what I felt, and to me that felt like maybe it was a descriptive piece in my head 
uh, and that's what kicked us off on this whole thing. So here is uh, my take and my interpretation of the Stool of Repentance. And I have to say, uh, I'm still not 100% happy with the fourth variation. I played it many different ways, uh, successfully on Practice Channer, but I just I had a really hard time translating it to Highland Pipes. So um, I, I'm happy with this, but it's not it's quite it's not quite as good as I want it to be. And I think if I were to play it. I think when I play it again, it's going to change every time. And that's sort of part of the joy of that fourth variation is to me, that variation is all about an argument and a very frustrated parson desperately trying to get through. And the fifth part is, you know, the person thinking, yeah, maybe he got through and then ultimately rejecting that. So here's the stool of repentance from William Dixon's manuscript with my uh, variations. Might be nuts. Might be a better word than descriptive pieces for these tunes, but uh, I love it. I know I love it. I'll, I'll give you a quick paste in of Bremner's um, rights rant, which is clearly descended from this. 
me struggling on Ellen Pipes to try to bring that into to music. But you can see it's it's got some it's got some um, stool some stool sense oh and that's the cover art i one of the things that also i loved about this week is kind of looking up trying to find more information on the stool of repentance um for like cover art and like david allen did a painting called the black stool of repentance uh, david allen's just one of my favorite artists for kind of depicting scottish life in the 1780s and 90s so that's the the cover art for the the episode uh it's kind of frustrating because the guy that's in the stool is not sitting in it he's standing in like the the stand that's built for the stool to sit in while he's getting harangued by the parson. But uh, anyway, here is uh, William, or not Gunn, uh, this is Bremner's, um, I think he calls it Wright's Rant uh, from his collection of Scottish Reels. settings for it um i couldn't really find a particularly old one like a, a particularly old version of this um that i enjoyed uh but I'll, I'll just paste it in here anyway i was looking for it uh jim mcgilvery plays a, a version of it on highland pipes that's quite a bit different and interesting and then i, I kind of noticed the setting on the session like the fist setting down kind of did the same thing so here's just a quick take of that on whistle uh if you've heard the tune that way I'm, I think your brain might be hurting that you're not hearing it that way now, so I'll just paste it in here. This is uh, me playing the Stool of Repentance as it shows up on thesession.org. But it's a good, it's a good tune that way. I, I like the this setting too. Well, uh, I keep telling myself that I'm going to make these things shorter, um, and if I have another hour-long episode, I was going to split it in two, but it just didn't make sense. Um, what would have made sense is to figure out a way to do one descriptive piece per episode, because holy cow, does that pad the length of an episode. Uh, so apologies for the runtime, um, but we'll go out with a proper bit of Highland piping. Um, this is William Gunn's setting for the same melody. Uh, this one's called The Piper's Son, which, you know, uh, or it has a different name in Gaelic too, but it makes me wonder if The Piper's Son in fact winds up in that chair an awful lot, and that's what they're talking about. So let's go out uh, with William Gunn on Highland Pipes. I tell you, you know, my brain is still working its way around border pipe tunes. Brain is still working its way around Ellen Pipe tunes. But uh, it's just nice. Like, I struggle. I'll struggle with a boilerplate tune or a lone pipe tune. And then these Highland Pipe recordings are just a breeze. Um, they're, they're like a nice, relaxing thing to do. So here's William Gunn's 1840s uh, setting for the Stool of Repentance, or as he calls it, the Piper's Son. <laughs> 